Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kelsey Bowler. You might hear it. It's a little noisier than normal. We are live at the National Conservative Conference in Miami. We are live, unscripted, and a little bit unserious today. Wow. This is the last day of the conference when we're recording, and we always know what the last day of the conference is. It's just, you're hanging on and you're having fun. That last day jitters. Yes. So, Kelsey, we're in Florida, my home state, the best state, obviously, in the entire country. Do you feel blessed to be here? Absolutely. I got to hear directly from Governor Ron DeSantis, America's (laughs) governor, and he really reminded me all the ways in which Florida is better than all other states in this country. (laughs) He made a good case to move here, but I'm not sure there's enough real estate to fit everybody who wants to come here. Or enough U-Haul trucks. (laughs) You know, we'll make it work for the Bowler family. (laughs) He gave a whole long speech, uh, you know, listing these Florida's results. And the fact that the speech could go on as long as it did is really impressive. Also, the resort that we're at has no less than seven water slides, which has been a huge topic of conversation. And one of our co-hosts might have gone on them. Yes, I went on the scariest one, where they just you stand in the tube and they just drop you straight down. No thanks. Yeah. I went to the kitty water slides <laughs> with my now three-year-old wow. daughter, and uh, she would go down the smallest one, and I was fine with it. There's still time, though, so if mm. we can get Kelsey on the big one, I'll, I'll update us happen. on the Instagram. <laughs> Well, with that, let's get a little more serious. We have such a great episode. We're first going to talk about the Education Scorecard, which is a new product that the Heritage Foundation released, which really allows you to see how your state ranks on education freedom. Then we're going to get into some really insane things that Dr. Jill Biden said about books in in public libraries. Then we're going to talk, Kelsey's been continuing her series on gender ideology and and has gotten to a point in the project where she's talking about detransitioners. You're not going to miss that. And then finally, we have a very special Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. Those of you whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, Lauren, let's get serious. (laughs) Looking back at elementary, middle, and high school, we all remember report card days. Some of those days were better than others. (laughs) My mother's listening. She can definitely tell you that. And you may have compared your report card to other kids in class because, let's be honest, we all want to do a little bit better than everyone else. And that is why report cards exist, to look and see how you were doing in each subject. So here at Heritage, we brought report cards back, and we are grading every state in the country on its level of education freedom. The Heritage Foundation's Education Freedom Report Card is a brand new resource that ranks states based on four categories, school choice, transparency, regulatory freedom, and spending. States with higher rankings are states that give parents more power over their child's education. And don't try to hide what kids are learning in school from their parents. So coming in third place is Idaho, second place Arizona, and first, drumroll please, Kelsey Bowler, Florida. Shocking. (laughs) Lauren, you were actually at an event 
in Florida with Governor Ron DeSantis to talk about the scorecard and how Florida has the most education freedom in the country. So tell us, in that appearance, we've gotten so much DeSantis while we're down here in Florida. Lucky us. (laughs) So what did DeSantis say about what makes Florida's education system different from other states? I'm glad he really started his speech with talking about the pandemic and how the Florida education system was willing to stand up against the federal government, against the teachers' unions, because that really is the backbone. It shows you when times get tough that they were able to make those difficult decisions. And then talk about how we need to protect students. We need to keep, and we're going to talk about this more with the Joe Biden stuff, (laughs) this gender ideology out of our schools' classrooms and really make sure the parents are the most important person when it comes to the child's education. And and one line that he said is that Florida parents don't co-parent with the government. I love that. I know Florida is a great state for education, but, you know, I know other states, Arizona has been a leader Mm -hmm. on this issue. So I was uh, a little bit, I guess, surprised that Florida ranked number one. And Hearing more about this, uh, over just the past recent years, Florida has greatly expanded its choice program. Um, Florida parents have opportunities to, you know, receive um, funding to send their children to private school. Um, there's a lot of charter school options. Um, this and, and the state is not hostile towards homeschooling. So I I guess I was surprised how fast things changed, and that does serve as a model for other states to follow, and it shows we shouldn't have to wait until, you know, it's too late to change the education system in this country, because if you're a mom or a dad, you know there's no time to dilly-dally on this issue. You want to send your child to the best school this year, and it should be your choice as it appears more possible to do in Florida. And it was such a great event. So Governor DeSantis was the keynote at the end, but it was a full-day summit in Orlando, Florida. And it was just such a diverse group of parents and people. And the energy in that room was really palpable. You could tell that there was a movement behind this. And one really other interesting tidbit that they talked about is that Florida ranked really high on this statistic, and that is that they have... 0.9 teachers for every non-teacher in the school system. Wow. And that's a really high ranking. And I think that shows what we're going up against in the bureaucracy in our school system and why it's so important for parents to take charge. Lauren, I'm curious, what state ranked the worst? Um, Well, it's not a state. (laughs) It is a district. Is it our former... Or where we used to live. Yes. <laughs> Former residency. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes, it was District of Columbia. I mean, the, the bottom That's ones so are all sad. California, New York. Uh, one surprising, I believe Texas was like 12. Wow. That's so sad about D.C. because we know there are so many middle and low income mm-hmm. children who education should be their way out mm-hmm. of poverty. And the schools are failing uh, we know there's there is a choice program that exists. You and I have reported on that firsthand. <laughs> this is a choice program that exists to serve the most underprivileged mm-hmm. children in Washington D.C. Uh, it is not available to all students. You have to qualify in the bars for qualifying. Um, you know, basically poverty mm-hmm. level, and even that the left has tried to dismantle. They have 
tried again and again to get rid of DC's Choice Program, which we have talked to parents and mm-hmm. an adorable little girl firsthand and heard what a difference it's made in their lives to be able to send their children to a school that will serve their mm-hmm. child's needs, not the school that was assigned to their zip code and has failed children year after year. And then add the COVID pandemic to that, where we know DC has been the most strict with school shutdowns and with requiring masks, which of course have developmental effects mm-hmm. on young children and are just not healthy for older children in, in terms of the ability to socialize. Um, so I think that's really sad, and I'm glad the Heritage Foundation put out this report because the states that are doing well deserve credit, and we need to know that it's possible to use them as a model for others, but it's also important to call out those which are failing students and and parents. Kelsey, I'm so glad you brought up that documentary. I think we should definitely throw it in the show notes, and it really inspires me. I might watch Miss Virginia on the plane ride home today. She's so great. She's so great. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a quick break, but I want to let you know if you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and want to find other like-minded podcasts, look no further than She Thinks. She Thinks is a podcast production of Kelsey's organization, the Independent Women's Forum. Every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, host Beverly Hallberg is joined by policymakers and thought leaders to cut through the spin and bring you facts on issues that matter most. From the economy and education to foreign policy and everything in between, she thinks has you covered. Can't wait for the next episode to drop. You can listen to past episodes at IWF.org or search for the She Thinks podcast in your favorite podcast app. Lauren, Virginia Coates made a good argument against using the term foreign policy, and she made a case that we need to shift it to national security. Ooh. I think I need to deliver that message back to IWF. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, shall we discuss Dr. Jill Biden? Dr. Jill Biden. Dr. Jill Biden. All right. Listen to this. This news story caught my attention this morning. It was reported by Yahoo News. I'm going to read you a tidbit. Dr. Jill Biden, one of the world's most prominent educators, is sharing her perspective on the challenges schools are facing nationwide. Skipping forward a few paragraphs. In addition to burnout, teachers have begun facing pressure from political groups to change their curriculum, in some areas being forced to erase conversations about racism and LGBTQ+, and only use textbooks and assign readings that fit the bill. In a similar vein, books are increasingly being removed from libraries to restrict the access young people have to topics deemed inappropriate. Let's hear a clip from Dr. Jill Biden, one of the nation's most prominent educators, about banning books. Is there a balance between, you know, this book should be in the library, this book All is under review? All books should be in the library. All books. This is America. We don't ban books. Kelsey, before we get into it, I do have to tell you at that DeSantis event, the school choice advocate, Corey DeAngelis, got on stage and he was like, you know... I just want everybody to know I'm a fake doctor like Dr. Jill Biden. And I think that got the biggest round of applause that day. I love the special treatment. (laughs) Okay. So a couple months ago, we all... (laughs) We all probably remember this story about 
um, these moms going to their local school boards and bringing these books in person to show the school board members the content that their children are being exposed to. And in one of the cases that I, um, you know, I helped report on for Independent Women's Forum, the book included images of sexual acts being performed, a sexual act being performed on a male body's lower half, if, if that wow. can you know, yeah. lead you to mm-hmm. figure out what I'm talking about. And, you know, that's just one example of what children are being exposed to in public school libraries. And what Jill's basically saying there, not basically what she said there, is educators and, and librarians should be free to expose our children to pornography in school. Like, there's there's just no line. I mean, I'm like, I have little kids. Keep these people away from mm-hmm. my kids. It should be common sense. The kids should not see this. It should not be anything. That, they're not trying to ban these books. They're not saying that adults can't can't look at them. We're talking about children. Children are banned from doing a lot of things. A child cannot drive. A child cannot buy alcohol. A child cannot go see a movie. Like, there are so many things that kids can't do. It's okay to ban things from kids until they're developmentally ready to see and talk about these things. But they can mutilate their bodies at the hands of this gender ideology movement, and apparently they can and should be able to access pornography in public school libraries. I think, you know, maybe this maybe this soundbite was just irresponsible on her behalf. I, I really wish a reporter would follow up and ask, you know, do you, do you really mean that all books should be in the library? All books? This is America. We don't ban books. It's not about banning books. It's about exposing children to appropriate content mm-hmm. and protecting them from content that is harmful to them mm-hmm. from a developmental stage. So... You know, I I love the term like book banning as if, you know, it's uh, yeah. This is not about book banning. This they're is o- protecting children. They're okay with banning children from not going to school for not being vaccinated, but then they're mad about banning pornography. The leftist logic just never makes sense. But she's a doctor, doctor so yeah. we do, I guess we have to listen to her. And just it, it all brings it back full circle to what Ron DeSantis said. Florida parents do not co-parent with the government, and that is the parents in the United States should not co-parent with the government. Absolutely. Grateful for Ron DeSantis, and I hope parents actually understand what Joe Biden is saying and what the left is advocating Mm -hmm. for our children to be exposed Mm -hmm. to. Um, It's pretty scary. (laughs) Well, it just gets scarier, Kels. Yeah, so... Last week, we released the latest video in Independent Women's Forum Identity Crisis Series. This is a project I have mentioned a handful of times on this mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. before. I began working on it when I got back from maternity leave. So um, it's something I've devoted the better part of this year to. And the latest story, we gave Daily Signal mm-hmm. an exclusive on it, involved a mother whose autistic, gender-confused daughter was manipulated and driven into Mm. a catastrophic mental breakdown after a therapist decided to ignore her underlying mental health issues, which included autism, anxiety, an eating disorder, depression, and instead use gender ideology as a coverall, quote-unquote affirming 
her daughter's gender confusion upon their very first meeting when she sat down with this therapist. And this mother talks about after this happened, her daughter's mental health predictably got so much worse. She was first exposed to gender ideology, her mother believes, in school. Her mother showed me a copy of the Genderbred Worksheet where her daughter was asked to fill out her feelings on her gender and all that nonsense. And essentially, this mother had to move to her move her daughter to a small rural farm town community, actually left her husband in their house oh for gosh. a long period of time to snap her back to reality, get her the medication and treatment she needed for the very serious mental health issues she had and get her away from this toxic ideology that was infiltrating her from school, from her phones, TikTok videos, from this therapist. And she's very brave for speaking out. This mom actually, unlike the others we report on, didn't want to use her face on camera because she employs um, nearly a dozen individuals. And she, she wasn't even so concerned about herself. She was concerned about those who she employs losing their jobs and livelihoods. And when we have a culture of fear that deep in this country for where a mom doesn't feel like she can speak out about what her daughter's experienced, something's gone very, very wrong. I wish we had a camera on my face where I, with my eyes wide open and my mouth open and all of our listeners' faces. Because imagine we're all having the same reaction to what you're telling us. And Kelsey, it's completely believable that this is happening. But at the same time, like it is completely heartbreaking that, that this... The system is doing this to this young girl, and you think about, really, how could she get better? It's working on her anxiety. It's fighting her eating disorder. That is how... It's drastic measures. Yeah, you are going to make her body better, and instead they're trying to focus on her brain and tell her that she's something that she's not and can never be, and that just makes those other issues even worse. It's not even that they're not letting her get help for what she needs. It's that they're exacerbating those issues. And I'm just grateful to hear that the mother has taken her out of that situation. So her daughter, as I mentioned, has an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. My question to all these therapists who are lying to children about what they believe is their gender is, if if this is your logic, Mm -hmm. why aren't you also lying to her about the way she feels in regards to her weight? Why aren't you saying, yes, little girl, you are fat and you should get a gastric mm-hmm. bypass surgery. Mm-hmm. That yep. is the logic here. And yep. it is so damaging. And perhaps when you think about it that way, you see why this gender ideology is not compassionate and tolerant. It puts children on a path to become sewn into the medical industrial complex in this country for the rest of their lives. As soon as her daughter identified as transgender, having never expressed any gender confusion before, she started asking for a binder, which is uh, basically like a super tight sports bra that flattens your chest, which has, it's actually very, it can be very damaging to do because people often, it's too tight and can restrict blood flow. and, tar- and stuff. target now sells, of course. Yes. And she also immediately asked for cross-sex hormones. So this isn't, it's not tolerant and compassionate to, to quote unquote affirm these children and their gender delusions and to say parents shouldn't be a part of this conversation and the solution because we're talking about medical Mm. interventions involving their children and unfortunately where this mom lives in California 
legislators are actually making it impossible for parents to be involved. They're enabling schools to lie to children behind their backs about their gender, send them to school as a girl one day. Once they go inside those doors, the school will treat them as a boy, and the parents have no right to know. And on top of that, California right now is proposing a law to make itself a sanctuary city where children can go to get, quote-unquote, gender-affirming treatments and surgeries, cross-sex hormones, double mastectomies. California, we know takes the lead on what the left wants to do with these Mm -hmm, policies mm -hmm. nationwide. We have to pay attention. We have to stop it because what California is saying to children all across the country is if your parents don't want to pump you with hormones when you're perfectly healthy at 15 years old, come here. And they stand up there and they congratulate themselves and we're, you know, we're so tolerant and and we just want to love everyone. But then you actually go to California and homelessness problems, they have a huge problem with drugs with and then you look where where are people moving right to florida and the thing is lauren the vast majority of these children many of them girls snap out of this Mm -hmm. it is a phase Mm -hmm. it is a normal identity exploration phase that you and i and pretty much every teenager goes through and The question these parents have is, why can't we just let them naturally explore these different identities? That's why I named this series Identity Crisis. Unfortunately, adults with authority are exploiting what used to be normal identity exploration, patting themselves on the back, and sending them on this path of medical intervention. Isn't it better to... For, for a girl to snap out of this than it is to pursue lifelong medical harms and interventions in their bodies, this stuff is irreversible. And Kelsey, you were on a panel here at the conference, and there was a, a doctor who spoke right before you. Dr. And, Miriam Grossman. And I don't even want to go into the ways that she was talking about the valioplasty and, and what they do to to these women's bodies. And but we have to, to be honest. We well, should do a whole episode on it because parents need to know the they truth. They need to know what it is. And I was grateful. She was like, I wanted to show you pictures, but they didn't have screens on the side. And I was sitting there like, oh my gosh, thank God I didn't have to see this. But like, you're right, Kelsey. We do need to talk about this. People do need to see this because that's what we're doing to these children's bodies. Yeah, there's a line she said. She's, um, she's a doctor and she works with a lot of these children and parents who, you know, are suffering from these mental health issues. And she talks about, you know, 10, 20 years ago, she used to meet with children and parents. Parents were concerned about their children having sexual intercourse when they were young, getting STDs and so forth. She said, those were the good old days. Wow. The good old days. It's funny, but the... Things she has experienced in trying to help these families navigate this gender ideology issue is it's devastating. Mm-hmm. And you hear that through the stories that I've told with these mothers. The next videos we'll be releasing involve quote unquote detransitioners. Mm-hmm. And those are an extremely important aspect of the story. I know we played some of these mm-hmm. types of interviews mm-hmm. on the Daily Signal, but I think it's really important both for young girls to hear how. You know, maybe at 
16 years old, you never imagine wanting to be married and pregnant. Mm. Turn around and just a couple years later, you know, one of the girls I interviewed um, went down the path of surgical transition. She had a double mastectomy. She's now married and thankfully pregnant. It was actually her fears of infertility that she had caused so much damage to her body using these cross-sex hormones that she wouldn't be able to get pregnant. It was those fears that ultimately drove her to let it all go. Now she is happily married and pregnant, but she's not allowed to breastfeed. I mean, not allowed. (laughs) She's not not able able to to breastfeed. Wow. So I I feel like these stories will kind of complete the series, bring it full circle, um, and, and remind us that as much suffering that these parents are facing through the multiple layers of betrayal they faced, it is the children who are the greatest victims in it. Also at the conference... The Dr. Kevin Roberts, the president of the Heritage Foundation, on his podcast interviewed Youngmi Park, who is a North Korean defector. And she spoke on the podcast, which was released yesterday, on how she was born in North Korea, escaped to China, was sold as a sex slave for $200. And then it took her and her mom, they had to escape China through a frozen desert to get to America. So when they hear, when she hears things like Dr. Joe Biden talking about books being banned and how you know, our country is, is so terrible. And she's like, no, you don't understand the freedom that we have and why it's important to protect both both women and, and our freedoms and it, it, that perspective and the perspective of the mom and the perspective of this woman um, who had the double mastectomy. When you really put them all together, you A, realize how blessed we are to live in this country, but how important it is that we stand up and, and we protect our freedoms and we protect what we know and we we have known for thousands of years what is true and is that men and men men are men and women are women and, and that we need to protect our, our children in our country absolutely and to wrap this up i mentioned in my speech here at natcon how as conservatives we talk a lot about leftist policies pitting americans against their own country mm. teaching americans to mm. hate their own country I'd argue what gender ideology is doing is one step worse. It is pitting children against their parents. It is teaching children to hate their parents. And in all of these cases, these parents unconditionally love their children. What's happening to them is wrong, it's perverse, and it needs to be stopped. Dean Kells, for being unscripted, that was very powerful. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to take... A quick break, but we have a really exciting Problematic Woman of the Week you won't want to miss. Stay tuned. As I approached the walkway from around the back of the building, they had taken um, crowbars to almost all of our windows, two of our doors, and just shattered all of the glass. That's the voice of Susan Campbell, Executive Director of Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center. In the early hours after Roe v. Wade was overturned, vandals smashed windows and spray-painted threatening messages outside the center. I'm Virginia Allen. The Daily Signal has just released a documentary about what happened to the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center. Plus, we take a deep dive into the violence and attacks against crisis pregnancy centers across the country. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Daily Signal's YouTube channel so you can watch the new documentary and never miss our new content. All right, it is now our favorite time of the week. 
It's that time to name our problematic woman Woo! of the week. This week, the honor goes to... We practice that. Emily Jasinski. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I almost said hello in a really deep oh. voice hello. to sort of like throw the problematic <laughs> woman thing off. Like, did they have a man? But no. Wow. Well, be careful. We've actually been featuring some detransitioners on this podcast, and they sadly have permanently very Now I feel badly. Well, Kelsey, <laughs> way to take the vibe from, like, here, way down here. Yeah, like, Kelsey can be such a jerk. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> Emily, you have a new show that was just announced. That's right. Independent Media... Tell us about it. Yeah, uh, we, uh, my friend Ryan Grimm and I had been doing Rising Fridays over at the Hill. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was just the Friday version of Rising at the Hill. Kelsey, you've been on. You're on recently, actually. Uh, we took that over to Breaking Points with our friends Sagar and Jetty and Crystal Ball. And now we're doing a show called Counterpoints, also on Fridays. So it's sort of the same thing. But the idea is just Ryan and me covering uh, weekly politics, but from the perspective of, of somebody sort of very solidly on the right and somebody mm-hmm. very solidly on the left. Uh, so it's going to be a good time. New media. I love the rise of independent media. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that's a big reason Sagar and Crystal were open about why they left the Hill. Um, they wanted that that freedom. And I think it's a good sign for our media culture. But actually, we're sitting here at NatCon interviewing you. You just got off of the media and culture panel. And I'm wondering about the... What, what your thoughts are about this dynamic between the benefits of the media splintering in that we can have conservative and independent media now, but also the loss of those common spaces where, you know, in some ways, (laughs) in a bygone era, we were able to find common ground as Americans in our media. Right. We agreed on what constituted a man and what constituted a woman. We agreed on what constituted violence mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. was not clearly not violence. We ha- we shared these touchstones that are both political and cultural and the monoculture reflected that. You know, mm-hmm. Walter Cronkite, if he referred to somebody with female pronouns, we all knew what that meant. <laughs> there was no confusion. Um, so I-, I think, you know, the business model of media has splintered because of streaming. You know, you have more choice, which is great, but that means their business models are just to get Uh, the biggest niche audience as is possible. Um, And it's true, though. You can really still create monoculture. We have universal, we're all humans. We have, (laughs) you know, universal human uh, demands and wants. And some of the same things make us all laugh. Some of the same things make us all cry. Um, And people can still tap into that and make a lot of money. So to the extent that Top Gun is sort of like that eye-opening moment for Hollywood, I think that's great. Um, But I do worry that we end up clustering in these echo chambers, whether they're on the left or the right or in the middle. And Top Gun's so rare, though. I mean, I I know that was mentioned we should be encouraged by the fact that as Americans we did unite around this one movie. But, yeah, those those seem to be fewer and fewer. And I... um, I, I guess I just don't know what the solution is because I do crave more unity. I mean, we're coming off of 9-11 and we saw some pretty terrible things being said. And I look at my own children. They didn't live through that like I did. So it's so important for them to understand what happened um, and honor that day. And and yet it just seems to, you know, be being trampled on. And if we can't unite around 9-11, that, that doesn't leave me with much hope. It's a really dis- depressing um, point. And <laughs> Sorry again. Yeah. Kelsey, well, just, Kelsey, 
Whoop, down here at Lauren, I'll let you ask the next question. <laughs> Kelsey just throwing black pills yeah. out at everyone who can catch. Um, no, I mean, I, I think, though, that the, if, if Hollywood learns from Top Gun, which I do, you know, read a lot of the Hollywood newsletters and try to, you know, stay abreast of their internal chatter, I actually think there was kind of a lesson internalized from Top Gun, and it's this race against the clock dynamic, right? Like, can we rediscover how to monetize unity um, in the sense that the culture creates unity and the unity is then reflected back in the culture? You know, can we do that before we no longer can be united on anything at all? Um, Open question. Mm -hmm. Open question. Uh, So I I share your pessimism, but I also do think there are signs it can go in a better direction. And it's not just Top Gun. It's I think Lightyear is important to talk about in this conversation as well. Because they took all the things that were fun out of it, Tim Allen, and they try to push this gender ideology into it, and it failed. So it's really, you can compare these two things. But to lighten the mood a little bit, I want to talk about where we are right now. We are in Miami at the National Conservatives Conference. Emily, what has this conference been like, and, and why did you choose to come and attend? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, she was invited to speak, Lauren. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's seven water slides. And there's there's seven, seven water slides. slides. Yeah, I'm not going on the water slide. No, no. no. Really, you can come to the kiddie pool with me. Did, did you no. take the, yeah, I guess your kids are a little young for the slide. There's, oh. a, there's a, like, mini water park for the little, little kids. Oh, yeah. Uh, I went down that little slide that sounds gross <laughs> i'm just gonna I'm, I'm honestly just gonna drink and not worry about that um but you <laughs> cocktails though <laughs> you know i think it's important to, to have these conversations um and I, I do think natcon does a good job of having the conversations in a way that isn't entirely drowned out by the noise of daily politics you know where if you're if you're at another conference mm-hmm. right like it's it's very much more in the immediate news cycle and the fray the immediate fray um but this is this does feel i mean this in a good way um like it's there's a slower pace right Mm. like there's Mm -hmm. a a a, it it is less in the daily noise and i think that is really where our politics needs to go um it's you know to sort of divorce ourselves from the chaos of the news cycle and get to a better place Well, Emily, we have to have you back on the show soon because you have some fascinating thoughts on the political realignment that's happening. So, to say the the least, (laughs) fascinating, um, moving, powerful, deep, profound, uh, inspirational, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are just things that people have said about me. I'm not saying they apply, but. Oh, and she just got her new show. (laughs) Watch out for this one. Yeah. Well, I think we'll have you back. If you'll you'll still have us. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. Anytime. Thank you, Emily. That was awesome. That's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world. And we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. I don't know what CastBox is. There's so many podcast players. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, just know we're grateful. I'll go find us on Castbox. I actually listen on Overcast, which nobody else I don't know about that one either. All right. I got some learning to do. (laughs) Thank you all for listening and have a wonderful week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.